Well, hello, my friends. How are you? We are out in the forest. There's some small areas around here that I call matchstick forests. And I don't know who I got that from. Somebody. I don't think it's my dad. I think he calls them lodgepole. They're not lodgepole pine. They're ponderosa pine from what I can see. But there's lots of them. Slender, growing tall. Competing for limited resources. Competing to get some sunshine. These patches of forest... A lot of them have been thinned out for fire purposes. And these aren't natural. None of this is natural, quote-unquote. The Forest Service maintains this tree farm that we think of as our wilds. This whole national forest. But I love the matchstick forests. Even the one like this one. And I came out here uh, for one of the first couple of Burning Tarot mini-podcasts. I remember because there was snow on the ground, and we pulled the Seven of Swords. I'm in the same place now. We're still in the same pandemic. But things feel different now. Somebody's got some kind of machine nearby. You might be able to hear it in the background. It's a vehicle doing something. What's it trying to do? Oh, and there's a giant caterpillar moving across a big dead log that I just photographed a moment ago. It's a big caterpillar that's moving with very... You can really see the articulations of each of its, its little bits its little peristalsis routine or whatever it's doing that allows it to move. Hmm. It's in a hurry. It's busy. It's a stripey thing. Looks like my index finger. So that's where we are. And this matchstick forest, uh, when I first moved here three years ago, something like that, um, had lots of tall upright trees and just a couple of stupendous old stumps and old silvering logs on the forest floor. But now it's clearing out a little. The trees are simply dying and falling over. This might seem like a tragedy. Sometimes it does. On the other hand, those trees that remain are really getting a chance now. They're getting a little more chance to get enough sunshine, enough room to really grow the way that we think of these pines growing into grand, tall, and also large diameter trees. They're being thinned out on their own without the chainsaws. There's also room in here now for other plants to grow. I also just did a little picture taking of a beautiful little plant called a Columbia Pacoon. And that's a native word. And uh, and I do not know which tribe gave it that name. Whoops, 
technical issue there. I think I've just cut myself off mid-sentence, not sure. Anyway, here we are in the matchstick forest. There's enough room now for some Columbia Pacoon to grow. They have these wonderful little five-petaled green flowers that come out, and then they start turning more and more yellowy. A lot of the greenery out here is... mm, It's got dusky and dusty overtones and undertones. It does not look like your bright screaming greens that you see in the Willamette Valley, in the Bay Area, and some other places that I know you guys are listening from. It has a more deserty look to it. And in that context, a little green and then yellow flower is quite impressive and sweet. This year there are more flowers blossoming than I've ever seen here. And I've been coming here in springtime on and off throughout my lifetime, uh, but mainly in the last five years. So, we're still in drought, but for some reason all the flowers are just going like, wow! There's entire plants I've never seen out here before. And um, a friend who has made this a home or second home for decades and decades, she assures me she's never seen it before either. So that's where we are. Today, for the Burning Tarot, I pulled from, uh, not the Burning Tarot deck itself, but from the classic Rider Waite Smith. Smith Rider, whatever you want to call it. Everybody's got their own special nickname for it. But this is the deck that uh, Pamela Coleman Smith, a.k.a. Pixie, illustrated at the behest and payment of Arthur Waite. And uh, it's, uh, it's basically Golden Dawn influenced and using images and symbology in that way. And lots of people argue about whether that's appropriate, whether any of it's even right. Maybe he was silly. Maybe all the magic is just in Pamela Coleman Smith's illustrations, not in all the esoteric stuff that Wait was getting wrong anyway. Well, it doesn't really matter. The tarotchi was a, were originally invented as a parlor game, card game. And yet, this deck is the one that somehow just caught fire and caught everybody's imagination. And so the 20th century became, in various parts of the Western English-speaking world, The tarot became a big freaking deal because of this deck. It just lit a fire under people. So there's my little tarot ramble for the moment. If you do decide to buy a um, Smith Rider, you might have to look it up under the name Rider Wait from US Games. Um, Look for the Centennial Edition. It's got some extra illustrations by Pixie. Uh, and it's reproduced in, in a less garish fashion than most of the, uh, than a lot of these are, you know, like if you, if you pulled tarot in the 70s or the 80s, you would be used to seeing this deck as like these really bright yellows, etc. And that has more to do with the printing style and the inks used 
than it does with the original illustrations. So the Centennial Edition tones it down a little, and I find it much easier to read because I can look at it without going, oh my god, where's my sunglasses? I decided today to pull a reading that would take us through the entire month of June. There will be other readings in June as well. But I felt that this wanted to hold our attention for longer than just one week. And I need something to kind of get anchored by, too. What is it we need to anchor ourselves with? What deserves our attention in the upcoming month? And I pulled a second card inquiring, how should we go about that? What's the, what's the other part of this we should think about? So the, the big Kahunga card that I pulled is the Hierophant This is the five card of the trumps, the major arcana, the big story. It depicts um, the Pope, basically, looking fancy, got a crowning wacky headdress on, got a red robe. He's doing that papal gesture, you know, with the two fingers up. Um, And he's holding an object of great ceremonial value in his left hand. Uh, You can see his little feet peeking out under his red dress. White shoes with little crosses on them. That's cute. Um, He's stern, stern stern-faced, stone-faced on a stone throne. Behind him, on either side, are two pillars. They are the same color. They're sort of beigey. This is not one of, like behind the high priestess in some decks, you'll see one white, one black. Uh, These are just sort of taupe. Down in front of those pillars and at, sorry about that, I had to blow a fly off of my hand. (laughs) Um, At the Pope's feet, at the Hierophant's feet, um, are two friars with their bald spots and one is wearing a blue robe looks like lilies are on it the other a whitish robe embroidered with red roses and right beneath those adorable feet those cute little white shoes is a pair of keys, golden keys, that are crossed. Behind them, so the thing that the throne sits on, that the Hierophant sits on, is a mysterious red something. A box, perhaps. And here are these keys. This card This card speaks to authority, to the act of teaching and being taught. It speaks to tradition and to the structures that uphold our traditions and the structures that enable us to pass knowledge, to become initiates, 
So this is kind of an interesting thing to draw at this time. In a springtime that's been full of very personal cards. As we go through a very weird collective time. I think this card is really recommending to us that we check in with whatever is real authority to us. This is so tricky right now. It has always been tricky, but right now everybody's really super aware of it. My reality might look nothing like yours. The person that you consider an authority, I might just laugh at. Very tricky times indeed. If you've known me long, a couple of you have, I think, um, I used to blather on about how our society is approaching an epistemological crisis. And everyone thought this was very boring, um, except other nerds who read a lot of Robert Anton Wilson. And we're really in that crisis now, and we're very aware of it. So this would be not knowing, well, not knowing stuff. Where, where does the authority come from? Whom do we trust? And if we're talking to somebody, and it sounds like they're totally nuts because they're quoting a different news commentator or president than we would ever listen to, um, it's sticky. It's sticky. I think the Hierophant coming up at a time like this urges us to consider where we're getting our information not just in terms of, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to the Oregon Health Authority about how COVID's doing this week, for example. So it can be that kind of immediate information. But also the longer term stuff. What modes of thought and perhaps worship or practice have informed how I construct knowledge and have done so for many, many years. The Hierophant can be... Um, sometimes the Hierophant comes up when it's time to say, okay, I'm going to listen to somebody else's authority. It's time to just um, go read the Bible, or better yet, you know, go to confession and tell the priest, and then the priest is going to say, you know, do this many Hail Marys, and then you're all set. Wouldn't that be nice right now? Wouldn't that just feel great to go to a supreme authority, spiritual or otherwise, and just have them give us a little exercise, a little something to do? Be like the Middle Ages. We could all just kind of wear our hair shirts and and then be done with it. We would know the truth because the priest or the bishop or the pope would be telling us what reality was. They'd be telling us what God thinks. However, we do not live in those times, and even in those times, not everybody believed the pope. The people who worked for and with the pope certainly understood that there was a lot more shenanigans going on than, uh, than God just speaking through an individual. Uh, I've been reading lately The Swerve, a book by Stephen Greenblatt. 
and some things about his writing bug me, but largely he's really super good, and the book is very good. And in it, we're in the 15th century, and he's letting the reader in on the sort of re-emergent world of antiquity, of classical Greek-Roman times. All the things that had, you know, had been so artistic and and cultured and civilized that really just kind of got dismantled and disappeared during the Dark Ages, but not entirely. Some people cared. And so The Swerve is a book about one of those people who cared, trying to find certain old manuscripts and things. And um, it's super fascinating. And this is a historical figure, uh, Poggio, Poggio. And he did work for the Pope. He held a high position for John the Twenty-Third, who was not a nice guy. So even back then, in a time when apparently, you know, if we just kind of paint with our broad brushstrokes like, like we would be taught in school, you could say, oh yeah, well, you know, Italy back then, 1407, whatever. Yeah, everybody would believe the Pope, and they'd believe that God wanted this or that. And that would be the end of it. But no, there were pockets, secret pockets of people who wanted the beautiful sculptures from the Roman times, who wanted to make sure that the philosophy, the poetry, the dialogues of the classical authors from long ago were found and copied out so that they could be preserved. And they wanted that way of thinking. So for me, this has been a nice, um, well, somewhat terrifying, (laughs) but fun journey to read this book. And when I see this hierophant, I, I think, you know, I think Poggio certainly wouldn't accept that Pope John the Twenty-Third as his spiritual authority. So who would his authority be? Well, he was looking for people who, who exhibited beauty in their language and thought. Uh, beauty and uh, wit and criticism. So when you go for your Hierophant this month, think about, think about what is authority to you. Let us all think about where we get our visions of authority. Sometimes the Hierophant card tells us or suggests, you know, shore up your foundations of, of uh, authority figures and belief. You know, you'll draw this card if you're, if you're trying to decide, should I uh, go back to college and get my PhD? And when you pull this card, it's usually like, yep, you should, yeah, PhD, sounding pretty good. Uh, of course, tarot readings don't really work like that. It's not so easy, but I'm just trying to give you a perspective here. In this case, the the idea of authority is just leaping out to me. Authority of knowledge. So one way, one 
mode we can go into is to re-examine our beliefs. Make sure we are giving credit to whomever helped shape those beliefs. If we ourselves are teachers, and I know some of you are, some of you are authors, some of you are elders who are certified in helping guide others, um, some of you are crazy witches. I don't know where I fall on that spectrum. I think crazy witch is probably where I'm heading right now. Um, so in any of those roles, you are a teacher. And some of you are actually, you know, like a teacher, like school teacher. Look at where your authority is coming from. What's, what's giving you the authority to teach this stuff? Where's your information coming from? Whom do you trust? And if you can enjoy that process, like not just interrogate the heck out of everything, this is kind of an awkward moment for that. Um, it's more like becoming aware. It can be really illuminating to do, to do that because you might find that, that something that seems like it's just reality is actually a belief that someone formed in you. It could be a book that you read 40 years ago. It could be something your mom said when you were three. Hierophant, in this particular case, is telling us to be aware of those authority structures and how they affect what we believe and what we're teaching others. It's not necessarily saying, oh, you're wrong. It's just saying there's, um, there's a hierarchy. There's a place that these things come from. It can be a lot of fun to have this card around. It can suggest, well, you know, maybe it's a little annoying that authority comes along. We're Americans. We want to do whatever we want, and that's the authority of the moment. Um, but in this case, it might feel good to immerse oneself in a body of knowledge that's coherent and makes sense. So you could take this as a time to study something, something new, and make sure there's somebody in your study path who, who you can learn from and that you trust enough to read their words, if you know them in person, to connect with them. It's a good time for teaching right now and this June, and it's a good time for learning. As we go forward in that, that little June quest of the Hierophant, of knowledge, gathering knowledge, questioning knowledge, sharing knowledge, thinking of our own authority, the Page of Cups is our supporting card. So this definitely tells us it's not just the old structures, the old ways of passing information, the old school Hierophant Pope stuff has its place, but it's not the only place. Page of Cups tells us, let's listen to our intuition. Let's look to what younger people are saying, what they're noticing around them. Let's let a, a spirit of whimsy come through in how we absorb knowledge and how we pass it along, too. Page of Cups is uh, deeply engaged in the emotional and the poetic. Also deeply engaged, I would say, in our ancestral knowledge. 
So what parts of our body are carrying, you know, carrying traumas, things that were done to our grandmothers, let's say. And how does that inform our knowledge, how we move our body around in the world? We're also carrying the love of our mothers who had us in their wombs and just carted us around like that for nine, nine and a half months. Ooh, that's heavy. It's powerful. So I think I think Page of Cups supporting and maybe even gently undermining a little bit <laughs> the Hierophant, I think it's a really good combo. It's a wonderful combination to be able to meditate on for a month plus to take note of where we're learning, where we're questioning, and where we're turning to our own inner youthful flow for some of the authority. That intuitive part of us is going to help us know, well, which authorities do we trust? It can also be an interesting time with both of these cards here. I would say if you have the luxury of being able to dial down your incoming news media or social media immersions to lower the volume on that these two cards would suggest you know turn off your phone and like go go read the swerve by Stephen Greenblatt or go read you know something substantial something meaningful that's part of an academic or spiritual tradition poetic tradition perhaps enjoy that that's wonderful that feeling like oh, I'm just sitting here in bed or sitting in my hammock in the sun or sitting near a window somewhere and I'm reading something meaningful and perhaps fun and then also with your page of cups take some of that time that could be spent you know reading all these different news sites and wondering whom to trust or blindly trusting one okay New York Times they're always right uh, they're right a hell of a lot more than a lot of other places. But, you know, you can just kind of get lost in that mire. I, Page of Cups definitely says, no, no, no. Come back to your inner flow. So look to history and big books and uh, your hierophant, your own hierophant energy. Look to your teachers. And then really tap into... Tap into your own water energy, your emotion, your ancestry. You know, on the Page of Cups card, he's sitting there looking rather jaunty. He's a youth. He's got a strange, awesome hat. He's holding a golden goblet, out of which is jumping a fish. I love this card. And he's looking right at the fish like, hmm, what's this fish got to tell me? In my own version of the tarot I started drawing many years ago, I, I put a fish at the heels of the fool instead of a dog. A fish jumping up and saying, woof. I just love the um, the surreality of it. Just being like, wow, man, I'm just going to listen to the fish. So that fish is your inner self. It is the wise children and youths around you. It's the woo, right? It's the great oceanic woo that tugs you in certain directions. 
uh, page of cups, that, that nice woo energy and that intuition, I think those can be harder to read when we're really wound up in other people's energy and reality. So if you're on the news all the time, if you're on a Facebook feed, even if you're doing a lot of, um, lots and lots of interactions with friends, family, where you're helping them resolve their stuff maybe, or everybody's just telling their whole big story all the time. In general, that's going to clutter up your page of cups flow. So if you want to make sure you're getting to the real flow, you have to put all of that stuff aside. Maybe it's just once a week. I do the uh, Shabbat thing now. So Fridays after I post this, I turn off my technology. It started as a 24-hour thing, and now it usually goes at least 36 hours. Now, something like that might be helpful. Um, finding, finding a way to let your inner flow voice through where it's not getting distorted, especially by, like, opinions. Because that can really, you know, your, your natural, real emotion, all, all of us can do this. Our, our real emotion is trying to flow. It's trying to give us real information from the woo. It's all very out there and cool. But it's being buffeted about by emotional energy that we're carrying because we're angry at what the president tweeted and that kind of thing. So we might need to have a little more space. You can take all of June if you want. Just to shelve the news, parts of it. Have one day a week where you immerse in that stuff. Shelve some of the reactivity and attachment that we tend to build up around um, kind of public, public performative relationships, if that makes sense. And I'm using a lot of words there that mean different things to different groups of people. So... But I think you know what I mean. Um, there is a certain energy to that, to the performance of community, especially online. And that can definitely eat up a lot of time, but also just um, impede the flow of other energies. So I think maybe I will continue to be conscious of that throughout June. And I'm very interested to discover what new thing I'm going to learn and what new teacher I might meet with this Hierophant card here. That could be a new teacher or could be one of you. You guys teach me a lot. Um, this is exciting. I hope it's exciting to you too. And I will come back and do another reading at some point. I have much love and many socially distant air hugs for you here in the Matchstick Forest. Bye-bye.